and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can visit my website, narctroopers.com, where you will find a whole podcast channel with many recordings. Uh, You will find articles, probably about 125 to 150 articles on uh, medium.com and other publications, all focusing on recovery from an understanding of narcissistic and psychopathic relationships. Um, You also have a video blog, a vlog, and some uh, merchandise. So visit me at NARC Troopers if you would like to know more. Today's topic is something a little spicy. This is a letter to my replacement. A letter to my replacement. You know, when a narcopath brings out his weapons of mass seduction, sisters gonna murder each other with their bare hands. I'm telling you, <laughs> bet. It's gonna be um, a fist fest. It's gonna be wild and crazy because women are animals when it comes to being savage and fighting to get that, um, you know, to couple with that that predator in the jungle that they think will make a good mate. Um, they're fierce. Women are fierce. And um, so, but this is not your regular thing. So um, I want to talk about, about that. Um, so I have been contacted by um, his replacements when my um, person left me, departed, Um, almost two years ago. Uh, In the beginning, quite frequently, I would get voicemails that would be recordings of them, him and my replacement talking. They would be out bicycling. I think once they were at uh, a popular swim place called Barton Springs, and he turned on the recording and sent it to me. Uh, That happened probably, oh, I don't know, six or seven times. And, um, you know, you could barely hear what they were saying, but there was laughter and there was talking. And uh, clearly this was the, he was, wanted me to know that this was, uh, that I had been replaced and that he was with her and they were having fun and biking about town on their bicycles and going out and having explorations. And so that's really sort of a passive aggressive, crazy little bit of uh, nuttiness there, isn't it? And then. I got a couple of text messages from some of his replacements. Um, There were more than one. Um, Well, that's a whole story for another day. So let me just tell you, you know right away when it's a replacement that's contacting you. Um, And I was amused by the idea that it took several of them to equal one of me. So I was wounded by the whole thing, obviously, because I had um, stuck in there, leaned in, gone for the gold for 15 years of marriage with this disordered person. And uh, it was for nothing because in the end, um, you know, you're discarded, you're jettisoned, you are cast aside. And when that happens, 
there's no turning back because, um, you know, when, when that happens, you have gone through those cycles of abuse from the idealization, infatuation stage, then to the devaluation stage where they start picking on everything and finding fault, and then to finally the discard stage. And let me just say, the relationships with narcissists look different depending on what type they are. There's cerebral narcissists and somatic narcissists. There's covert and overt. There's mid-range, low-range, high-range. Uh, there's different cadres within within the different categories. And so mine was a covert, somatic, passive-aggressive narcissist, also known as a vulnerable narcissist. But, you know, I, I heard something interesting actually this week where uh, Sam Vaknin, who is one of my favorite authorities on this subject, and he, um, I highly recommend that you listen to his videos because um, he's awesome and he's really smart and he has a way of explaining things that gives you a much deeper understanding of all of this. Um, than anything that I've ever heard um, after almost two years of constant research. Uh, I would say he's, he's the most knowledgeable and articulate in explaining what this is over everyone else. Um, so I highly recommend that you check him out, Sam Vaknin. And I was listening to that uh, recently. He was talking about... Um, how just because you're one kind of narcissist for X number of years doesn't mean that there's not going to be some precipitating event, some catalyst or some impetus, some push or shove that's going to set things in motion and cause that narcissist to change into something else. And what he had said was that within that whole vicinity in the neighborhood of narcissism, according to the DSM chart and mental health professionals, they group the narcissist with the person with antisocial personality disorder and the psychopath. And the antisocial personality disorder person is what was formerly known as a sociopath. And all three of those are grouped together sort of in the same category because they're so very close for so many reasons. And it's common, he said, um, based on extensive research, it's common for them to, for that to be fluid and for a narcissist to become a primary or secondary psychopath because there's categories of psychopath. One, one kind of psychopath uh, has absolutely no remorse or guilt or um, capacity to feel anything while as another type of psychopath does have some capacity, but they have um, tied it up and and locked it up in some little uh, cubby uh, inside their soul, and it's not allowed to come out and play. It stays at bay, um, bound and um, not free to be itself. Either way, my point is you could be a narcissist 
for X number of years, and then something can happen and you shift into uh, more of a psychopath. You could be a narcissist with sociopathic tendencies. You could be a psychopath who is a narcissist because let me tell you, I think this is how it goes. All psychopaths are also narcissists, but not all narcissists are psychopaths, but it's a fluid thing. And you could move back and forth and be sort of a hybrid of both of those things at the same time, or you could be 20% this and 80% that, and it changes. It's fluid. It's mercurial. The same thing with sociopathic behavior. They tend to be more um, overtly breaking rules and committing crimes and being antagonistic, having no respect for the law, that kind of thing. And you can see how that's very compatible with narcissism and psychopathy. It's just uh, little bits of nuanced things that are different. They say that psychopaths are born, whereas narcissists are made through early childhood trauma and neglect and horrific things that happen to them between the ages of roughly three and seven, I think. That's really young. Between the ages of three and seven, what happens there can make you or break you, apparently. So you could be all these different things all at the same time. And um, and you could switch from a cerebral narcissist, which is a one that um, accumulates a lot of like intellectual um, accomplishments to boost their um, their their empty lack of identity. They fill it with with that, and they seek validation in those kinds of ways. And then there's the somatic narcissist, which is usually a sex addict and is very promiscuous and uses their body. Uh, as um, commerce, as um, in a utilitarian kind of way, when they are in sexual relationships, there's no intimacy. They're, they're, it's auto-erotic in the sense it's like masturbation with a person underneath them or on top of them or whatever. It, it, it's not uh, sex in the way that we think of it or at least in the way that healthy people think of it. I, th- I shouldn't say we, because there's a growing number of people who have just recreational sex without the intimacy. It's just, um, it's just recreation and nothing else at all. So I wanted to make that really clear that there's different kinds of narcissists. So some of them are so sweet and kind and never raise their voice. And they're always the victim and everybody's so mean to them and everybody around them is crazy except them who has, they have it all figured out, but they're, they're very nice. And in the beginning, they're very helpful, very devoted, very uh, kind, apparently. And then, um, and they never shout and throw things and break things and, and hurt you and physically assault you or anything like that. That would, that would never happen with a covert, vulnerable narcissist. However, you have other types of narcissists who do, like the lower, lesser narcissist, are very brutal and very primitive in their um, responses to what goes on around them. Uh, your overt malignant narcissist tends to a lot of times be more violent. So there's different kinds. There's not just one kind and we need to 
um, know that before we move on. So, so this letter that I wrote, you know, I just, I just want to say, who knows how long that you're, that this person is going to be with their new fresh supply or your replacement. It could be weeks. It could be months. It could be many years. But the reason it doesn't matter is because in the end, it's going to end up the same. You're going to repeat the same pattern that, that they had with you and um, with the same outcome. Um, I have seen the interior regions of my husband's soul, and um, I've seen what's in there. And I've learned how it is shriveled and withered and dark like a blood clot nestled in his chest where his heart should be. It's easy to have pity and feel sorry for people like that. Um, it's easy to make excuses and believe that someday they're going to be better. But here's the news, guys. That's not going to happen. They don't get better. They just don't. Narcissists don't change and sociopaths don't change. Psychopaths don't change. Whatever combination of those things you have going on, that doesn't change. It's just never going to happen. So what about this replacement person that has replaced you? If you have been the one that has been discarded or you left, you escaped and had the strength to do that. And, and now you've been replaced quickly, suddenly, and completely. Um, this person who sleeps beside them now, who makes their meals, who does their grocery shopping, does their laundry, that person. What about them? Well, I imagine her and I can feel, this is, this is awful. I can feel his hands on me when I think about how they move across her. Yeah, that's some kind of weird empath, empath thing, right? I, whew, I know the way he looks when he when she tries to hold on and get some kind of intimacy. Uh, I know that look on his face, and I know what he does. I see him on his knees, towering above her as he just tears open her soul like a soft peach and bites into it, rips it to shreds. He tells her she tastes like papaya or a blood red pomegranate when he's really tasting blood because he's just taken a chunk out of her heart, but she doesn't know it. It's like those spiders that inject the venom into their victims and the victims never feel the pain. They never feel that they're getting eaten alive they're getting eaten alive and they don't even know it. That's kind of what it's like to be with these people. So this person, their heart swells. Their heart just grows like it's going to explode with so much joy and bliss and happiness. But really, he's chomping chunks of it out, you know, biting into the whole, uh, you know, red meat portions of that heart and just ripping it out of her chest and then saying, Oh, that's not blood on my face. You taste like a red pomegranate. That's what that is. He flows into her, just flows into her like holy water, and he anoints her with his baptismal fire. Let's picture that for a minute. 
Oh, my God. She is converted and consumed. You know, there's no resisting. There's just no resisting these weapons of mass seduction that these kinds of narcissists have. And here again, mine was a somatic narcissist who uses his body to get fuel and to get supply. He likes to think he's a cerebral narcissist, and he knows a lot of stuff. But I think primarily, and it, and here again, this is like he's like a hybrid com, combo version of both somatic and cerebral, but probably 80% somatic and 20% cerebral. Yep, he loves the way that she makes him feel, but he doesn't even know what love is. He doesn't know what love is, but he knows he likes what he feels. She thinks if she's clever enough, creative enough, willing to bend and sway enough, that she can keep him. That, uh, you know, she she's, gives him long speeches about how she's not jealous like I was. How people can't possess another human the way I tried to do. How she won't make that mistake. How he's free. How no one is a, is a stranger and no one is a prisoner and how we're all just the same and how she doesn't mind if he goes to bed with new friends from time to time. She'll do it too. You know, they'll, they'll both trade out when they get bored with each other and add some spice by doing, bringing somebody else. Maybe, you know, have a group activity. Um, so, you know, he... That's okay with him because he's not connected to her intimately anyway, as long as somebody's um, giving him attention, affection, adoration, and all that good energy is flowing his way. He doesn't matter. I mean, he doesn't care. It doesn't matter. You know, he worries about a dearth economy. Like there, there might not be enough for him, but as long as he has enough, and he's full, and he has fed, and he got to feed first, then that's okay, whatever happens after that. Um, So, you know, if anything, this whole open relationship that he has um, just allows him to um, seek more fuel and supply from other people, which is always really exciting to hook up with somebody new. That's just the biggest rush ever. You know, you find true happiness, you know, between the legs of random girls or with, um, you know, sitting on top of random guys, he thinks she's perfect to give him this freedom. So I'm sure in that idealization stage, uh, it's just happiness all around. He's struck gold. He's loving it. So I imagine her paying the rent, being his meal ticket, telling herself she's part of some team and that they are partners. Maybe she's capable of that blissful blindness that I once had, that self-delusion that I was so good at. And maybe she can just tell herself for a really long time that this is the best thing that anybody could ever have. It's funny how we trick ourselves that way, right? Maybe she thinks she loves him. Maybe, um, She's doing everything she can do to keep him. But, you know, here's another thing. What if she's a narcissist or a psychopath too? You know, that happens. Um, Maybe that, that they're the same. It's common knowledge that these, the cluster B people, um, as they get older, instead of always looking for fresh new victims, they just fill their emptiness 
with other people like themselves. You know, what do they say about birds of a feather flocking together? That's exactly what they do when they get older. You know, they flock and they flirt and they fuck and they fizzle. And both of them are just empty and dead inside. You know, it's interesting to me to try to conceive how they can feed each other's ravenous hunger when they're both empty. But I I guess it's a thing. It's a dynamic that, that I'm not capable of really comprehending. So here we go. That was my backstory. Here's the letter. It's, it's not really long. Um, this is my letter. This is what I, I want to put this in an envelope and mail it to her and um, to my replacement. And it would look like this. I would say, dear replacement, enjoy him while you can. Soak up all of his sweetness and tenderness and kindness because it's not what you think. That same courteous and adorable little hunk of burning passion is capable of the most calculated crimes and callous cruelty imaginable. The time will come after he has devalued you, after he has sucked you dry, after you have given him the best of you and you have very little left for yourself. He will gut you like a pig. And then he will slaughter you without remorse. And after this bloodbath, while he's standing there smirking like the devil himself, gazing at you with contempt and hatred that burns you like fire, then he will delete you, erase you, completely forget you. You will no longer exist. And every single moment of bliss, of sweet and tender moments, of generosity, all of that, it will fall away in an instant and be replaced by fear, pain, grief, and despair. He is a beast, a monster, a serpent, a dark angel. It's coming, I promise. He will take that beautiful, charming, adorable mask off for you too. And when he does, when you see what is behind it for the first time, those black, glittery eyes like the devil himself and a smirk that wishes you dead, then you will finally understand. I know what he tells you. He says, you know, it's a pity he had to endure so much terrible, terrible stuff, and you believe him. He says I'm old and ugly. Hmm. He never complained for the 6,293 days and nights that he lay down beside me. Yeah, that's what, 15, 16 years. He says I I was jealous and possessive. Hmm. Could it be because he sent dick pics, had cybersex girlfriends, watched porn constantly, flirted incessantly, tried to seduce anything with a heartbeat, and even hired prostitutes? Can you say STD? He says I was depressed and emotionally unavailable. Hmm. Maybe if I didn't get asked to leave every single job I ever had because he loses jobs and I have to cover for him and he loses jobs because of his creepy, inappropriate actions and sex addiction. Maybe if I didn't have to sacrifice my career to always cut, you know, pull up the slack and, and make up for his loss of, of um, 
you know, contribution to the household. I'm the one that would take a hit for the team and, and double dip and have two salaries coming in just because he was such a, you know, what? And, you know, all this trouble that he made for my family, for me, betraying me, humiliating me repeatedly and making me feel like I have no reasons to be upset. So, you know, you know, maybe I think I may have been pretty demoralized and battered by the time I got to the last few years of our marriage. So he says I was emotionally unavailable. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder what that, why would that, why would that be? Huh? Why do you think that would be dear replacement? I have proof. I have letters. I have his journals. I have things where he confesses while he was in therapy and 12 step programs. And they asked him to write down what was going on with him. I have job records that reflect time after time, how he was asked to leave because he was such a pervert job records that, you know, that they don't go away. Victims, witnesses, people in my own family who were violated. They could all testify on what he is and what he does. In his own words, in one letter, he says, you're the love of my life and I will always love you forever and ever. And I'm never going to marry again because I just, I just want to be polyamorous, but you're the love of my life. And then the next day or a couple of days later, I never loved you. I think I was just there because I was codependent and afraid to leave. Wow. So which is it? Love of his life? Or just there because he was scared to leave. Ooh, hmm. Well, gee, that's kind of weird, isn't it? That you would get like two completely different stories within a couple of days in writing. Back to my original original point, dear replacement. I have the letters. I have the proof. You want to see them? I can show them. I I can show you um, right in front of your face where he talks about what he is and he contradicts himself. You know, he knew what he was behind his fabulous fake facade. He does know there's something wrong with him. He's never going to admit it to you, at least not now. He said, I think I'm a sociopath with sadomasochistic tendencies. I'm attracted to young girls because they have such flawless skin like a doll. Um, I don't think I have feelings like guilt or fear like normal people. I'm not like everybody else. You know, these are his words, quote, unquote. Um, I have it in his writing. I have digital copies of it in case somebody ever broke in and stole all of this proof of what he is. So, yeah, he says, I I don't think I'm like everybody else. I think I'm a sociopath. Um, you know what? He would always find a way to deny whatever he has, even if it's in his own writing. He's going to say, oh, I didn't do that. I I called him out on that recently. He said, well, I don't remember that. How old was I? I was probably just a child when I did it. Yeah, I don't think so. No, it was last year. You know, you're you're practically middle age and it was last year. So, no, I don't think you were like 15 or 12 or something when you wrote that. yeah, but that's what they say. They deny it and and try to try to say it that's not true. They didn't mean it. That's not what they they don't remember doing that. You know, he 
he never worries because he knows he's got you hooked. You're already knee-deep in the hoopla. You have no power to resist. So there are two sides to every, every story, and, and you need to know that. You need to know that there's two sides. Narcopaths blame shift and play the victim. So don't be stupid. Don't be so hung up on how well he's hung that you can't do any digging and researching of your own to find some shred of the truth buried somewhere in there, you know? Just don't be so gobsmacked by by how he makes you feel, you know, that you can't think. It's like, does the sex really just blow your mind so much that you're incapable of a rational thought? Well, you know, I, I'm guilty of that too, to some degree. So yeah, I get it, but don't be stupid like me. You know, then the next one, the next replacement is going to call you a fool like they did me. So you will pay for this every moment of happiness a hundred times over with, with pure suffering and horribleness. <laughs> it will just be, um, wow, it will be more than what you know. You know, if I live along to wit- live long enough to witness it, I hope you will find me. We can swap stories and have a cup of tea. Um, when you discover what he is and what he is not, and when he, ta- when he takes everything and leaves you with nothing, then come sit with me and maybe we can be friends. You, you know where to find me? I'm going to be writing. You will find me writing about all of this, what he did, what's wrong with people like him, what to do about it, how to live through it all, and you know survive it without dying. I'm going to be writing about that because I'm a writer and I have lots of stories to tell, lots of helpful tips to give. And I'm going to write about that to educate the whole world about what this is and how dangerous these people are and how you can survive what they do to you, even though it's going to be incredibly difficult. It is my new mission, my new mission in life. I'm going to be writing about this and doing the podcast and video blogs and making uh, content to help people, doing workshops and writing books and doing all of the stuff that I've always done. You know, I've conducted tons of workshops in my life uh, because I'm a teacher and I have written published books before this happened to me. And I'm going to take this experience and make that my new niche area and and mission in life to educate the world about this. So that's where you can find me when everything goes down and you need a shoulder to cry on with somebody who's been through it just like you. I'll be here because, you know, it's what I'm going to have to do until my last breath to expose what this is, this sickness of the soul. This narcissistic, psychopathic madness destroys people and ruins lives. It does. And I want everyone to understand the danger. And I want everyone to understand what's happening to these poor souls who are trying to recover from it. There's a lot of misunderstandings out there about that. So that's where you will find me. I want to help people like you. You're going to be in that um in that boat before too long, or maybe it will be a long time. 
he was with me 16 years. Maybe he'll be with you for 20. But in the end, when you need him most, as you get older, and yeah, he's he's not going to be there. I promise you that. On my life, I promise you that. Because that's what he is, and he can't change. So I'd love to help you. I think it's life-threatening, and some people don't make it. Um, you know, they, they really don't survive. Lives are ruined. Futures are decimated. Victims invalidated and erased. So come look for me in the end, whether it's months or years. You know, there could be marriage and babies. Maybe his family will really embrace you and just love you. And, um, you know, maybe all of that will happen. Time will pass. And through all of this, he's going to wear that mask. He will be the good partner. He will be the good man. He will be a dream come true. But please make no mistake. You will pay. You will pay with your life and everything you hold dear. It will destroy you and everyone you love. All will pay for your bad judgment. Everybody, not just you. And when he goes, he will leave you with nothing. I promise that that's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. He imprints memories on you daily. He creates patterns to condition you like a dog with treats and words and touches, glances and routines that are comfortable and safe. He'll call you funny nicknames like gummy bear or something like that. And he will cross every boundary that makes you flinch a little and feel shamed. Like he'll be watching you while you're sitting on the toilet or he'll be staring at you while you're doing something else that's not in your best, you know, best angle. And he'll say, it's okay. I am your husband. Or if he never actually marries you and y'all continue to just shack up, he'll say, it's okay. I'm your boyfriend. I'm your partner. I'm your lover. I'm your dream come true. I'm your knight in shining armor. And you will hold him in the night and breathe deep to absorb the smell of his skin in the organic way that parents love their children. You will feel complete and sheltered and fulfilled and at peace. And then, in the end, you will feel uneasy, violated, shamed, because you're going to know something's wrong before he goes. You're going to feel it in your gut, but you won't be able to get away. You won't be able to do anything about it. You'll have this feeling every day that you're not enough, and he'll make sure you know that. Intuitively, you will know that something is wrong, but you won't be able to do it. You'll just ignore it and fall deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. It's not real. It's not, you know, it's not of substance. It's an illusion. And you will live in that shared fantasy every day with him until the day he walks out the door. I know you don't believe me. He has painted me as some crazy old fool who's obsessed with him, who can't move on or let him go. Someone emotionally unstable and mentally disturbed. But make no mistake, you will be just like me at some time in the future, and then you will understand it. And you will shake your head when you look at your replacement, and she's going to be newer, fresher, prettier, more exciting, 
and you will feel so crushed and you'll look at her and think, whoa, she has no idea. She has fallen head over heels for this con artist. Oh my gosh, you'll do that. You will do it and he will paint you as the crazy obsessed one, the old fool that just can't let go. Yeah, that's what he'll say about you when your time comes. So, you know, he's going to blame you and vilify you and demonize you and make you the bad guy. And when it's your turn to be discarded, all those things will happen. Make no mistake. He can never accept any accountability or responsibility for what he does because that would mean he's not the good guy that he thinks he is. He's delusional and he believes it. So he makes up this new narrative, a fantasy illusion in his head, and he lives in that rabbit hole, in that alternate reality every day, in this dark maze. You know, he's even told me, you want to go down that rabbit hole with me? Like he knows he's in it. I know it's impossible to believe that he knows something about what he is, but yet he He's a great actor, and he fakes it and wears that mask. And and it's it's like he should get an Academy Award. It is the great greatest performance I have ever seen. Um, and he may portray me in all of these horrible ways, but that's what trauma bonding does to people. And you will be trauma bonded to him too. You think you won't be? You're wrong. You will not be able to let go either. And then you're going to know exactly what I'm experiencing, trauma bonding. And your biochemical reactions in your brain to what he does to you are going to jack you up for years after he kicks you to the curb for something better. You will store it in your body and your cell structure and DNA. And all of that's going to be altered by this trauma experience. Look it up. It's a fact. It's research. He will be your drug of choice. You will be addicted, and it will be more powerful than heroin. You're going to shake and tremble for weeks when he leaves you and be terrified that you can't make it stop as you gasp for breath with panic attacks so severe that you um, will be able to actually see your heart pounding on the out of your chest. You'll see it moving, and, and it's just crazy. You're not going to understand or believe what's happening to you, but there you will be begging him for mercy and there will be none. You think he's not capable of doing just things, unimaginable things? Think again. We live in a new world where things like fidelity, loyalty, morals, and all of that really don't thrive. People run about doing whatever they feel like, with whomever they feel like doing it to, wherever they feel like doing it. No rules or boundaries. They're ethically non-monogamous. You know, um, I always thought that women would stick together to protect each other, but I was wrong. They will steal your man and laugh about it. They will not hesitate to lay down with a man who clearly has a ring on his finger. It means nothing to them. There's a different kind of woman out there now that did not exist, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's true. It has changed in the last decade or so. 
I mean, yes, there's been a slow erosion of morals over the last 50 years, but I'm talking about a new breed of woman who acts as a man, as a man used to. They are independent. They have jobs. They have careers. They have their life. They have their yoga classes. They have their red wine. They have their books. They have their dildos. They have their whatever. And when they do feel like they need to have a a hookup with a real human man, then they go out and find one and pick the best of the bunch from all the guys that throw themselves at them. They take them home, no strings attached, recreational sex, just for the physicality of it, zero emotions, no intimacy, no feelings, just fun, 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 physical fun, recreation, like a big workout, you know, instead of going to the gym with the whole sexual bonus release at the end or throughout or many times or whatever. Anyway, that new breed of woman, that's a game changer for everybody because the guys that are out there now are either predators, predatory predators, narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths, those guys, they're either those guys or they fall into the category of being like, I don't know, some mama's boy that plays video games all day, doesn't have a job, eats Cheetos, stays high and lives in his mother's basement. That guy, that guy's out there trying to get laid. So it's the, it's the mentally disordered predators like the narcissist psychopaths, or it's the losers. And those come in lots of different flavors. But you know what I'm talking about? The good guys, where are they? They're not out in the bars. They're not out canvassing for fresh meat. They're not doing that. Um, but now women do that. And they have their they have their fun. And then bye-bye. And then they never call them again. And then they wait. Uh, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, depending on their libido, and then they do it again. And and so in a way, it's like how men used to be. Now women are like that. And so what happens to marriage? What is the motivation to pair with another individual, to marry them, to make a home, to have a mortgage, to have children and diapers and a 401k and, and uh, you know, shared chores around the house? What is the motivation to do that? If you can lead a life where you can just go out and pair up with any, you know, sexy thing that you come across, go have your fun, and then and then what? Nothing. You know, you go about your business and go about your life because your life is full and complete. And they preach this mantra, you know, you don't need to have a relationship. You know, you don't you you just need to do self-care and put yourself first and be your own true self and blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, and this is what we get. So, you know, it makes people feel powerful and strong. Women, women who take other people's men, you know, when you meet a narcopath and you fall in love with them, the clock is ticking and you're going to lose all of your strength and power in the end. You're going to know what it feels like to realize that there's some other woman out there who has been with him. And when he comes home and crawls in beside in the bed beside you, you can bet that if she has more money, more residual benefits, like more connections, networking, you know, something that a useful tool that he can leverage to help himself in some way with his career or with his finances or whatever, 
or maybe she's just better in bed, or maybe she's just younger and her skin is as smooth as a doll and a 14-year-old, like what he's attracted to. You're going to be history. Clock's ticking. He's going to like uh, show you the door very soon. And you can lay there and tick the minutes away in your head while you're thinking about that when he comes home and he still smells like her when he gets in the bed beside you. You know, she's with you, that other woman, all the time in that crowded bed, in your head, in the space between you. So women should hold themselves together and hold their legs together and stand together as women. You can quote me on that one. I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, you need <laughs> women should, I want to say that again. I think that's good. You should hold yourself together, women. Hold your legs together and stand together as women. Right? There's bros before, before hoes. What about for the women? Right? Do we have some equivalent of bros before hoes? We should. There is a code. Never take something that is not yours to take. Not that people belong to each other. I'm not saying that. No, don't take that and run to some bad place with it. I'm just saying when you have partnered and committed and you've built a life and a home and you have children and you have all that, some other woman who thinks it's her right to, you know, take that person, that father and that husband out of that situation and have their own fun with him and then turn him loose or whatever, that's how is that okay? How in anybody's mind, in anyone's definition, how is that okay? People have their own agency and power and freedom. But if you are decent, you have any kind of honor or morals, you give yourself to one person, just one, for your life. So what if you change? You bend with each other and sway. Your grandparents did it. Maybe your parents did it. Generations have done it before you. And they were happy. They were happy. Do you see those old people holding hands when they die within an hour of each other? What do you think that is? Pure fiction? Pulp fiction? What do you think that is? That's real. That's what it's supposed to be. You know, till death do you part. And for those who see no rules or boundaries, for those who believe these false narratives just because they want to justify what they do to be selfish and to pursue their own things, shame on you. Karma is a bitch. And that narcissistic psychopath who has you eating out of the palm of his hand, he's got you. He's got you. He's exploiting you and mining your resources using you for his own dark desires in ways you cannot even imagine. You drank the Kool-Aid, girl. You're face down in it. He's in your blood. He's attached himself like a cancer that spreads and wraps around your spine and sinks into your bones. You will bleed in the end, and he will drop a nuclear bomb on your head that's going to blow you to smithereens, and he will do to you what he did to me. And then you're going to be picking up pieces of yourself for a long time after. I wish I had known what was coming and heeded all of the cautionary advice that I received. Other people saw it. Other people knew it. And they all warned me. They warned me and I didn't listen. I didn't believe them. I didn't want to believe them. I wanted to believe in him. 
in the power of us. No matter what he did, I stayed and I looked the other way. He took his sleek silver gun and fired bullets past me just for sport and for fun and for kicks and grins and giggles. You know, he did it for sport from the very beginning of our relationship, like it was a game. And he always missed maybe just grazing me a little bit, just wounding me. It was like a flesh wound, like, ow. But, you know, he he never aimed for the parts that would kill me. He made it clear that he held all the power. And I think that's what it was about. My life belonged to him. I played along and I danced a little silly dance and I dodged all the torpedoes until that one day came, June 18th, 2019, when he took all of those pretty little bullets he loved to play with and he put one of them point blank between my eyes. Game over. Now you have taken my place. I must step aside and give you the opportunity to learn what I did. Maybe you're smarter or stronger. Maybe you'll get away before he is done with you. Maybe you are one of his kind and just as dead and delusional as him. So when you're sitting across from him tonight, listening to his long, protracted dialogues, study him. Look at him. Really see him. Try to imagine what it's going to look like behind all of those that crazy word salad and circular reasoning and imaginary world smoke and mirrors bullshit that he lives in. Try to imagine what happens when the smoke clears. Try to picture his face contorted and twisted with disgust, contempt, revulsion when he looks at you, eyes black and shiny as obsidian, staring, sulking, smirking, checkmate. If you can imagine a glimpse of that future, then perhaps you can prepare for it. Just remember, you're going to pay for everything, and it will change you forever if it doesn't kill you. Someday, you will join my tribe, and you will discover the truth. Yours truly, until then, the ex-wife. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.